Welcome to the Agency Handbook on Cyber and the Hybrid Cloud panel discussion, sponsored by VMware. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Jay Huey, the Cloud Portfolio Director at the Technology Transformation Service in the General Services Administration. Todd Myers, the Automation Lead CIOT at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Ben Bergerson, the CIO and Senior Agency Official for Cyber Risk Management at the U.S. Trade and Development Agency. And Bill Rowan, the Vice President of Federal Sales for VMware. Gentlemen, welcome to the discussion. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion today. We know agencies have a rare opportunity with the Modernizing Government Technology Act, or MGT Act, to begin the journey to get off legacy systems that many times are hard to secure and, to, and don't provide the services to citizens many expect. Uh, quick history, Congress passed and President Donald Trump signed the MGT Act into law as part of the Defense Authorization Bill in December. OMB issued implementation guidance for MGT in February and agencies had until the end of March to decide if they would set up working capital funds to help bank money for future modernization projects. If MGT gives agencies a legislative and policy spark, the technology evolution over the past decade, whether we're talking cloud, agile and DevOps, or robotics process automation, is giving agencies the fuel to create that fire. And the fire is burning hotter. Bloomberg government found in late 2017 that over the last four years, agencies have spent more than $7.3 billion on cloud computing services, including $1.8 billion in 2017 alone. That's double the amount spent just five years ago. And you can look at the number of RFIs, RFPs, other acquisition actions. They also have increased dramatically over the last six to nine months, especially with the administration's ramped up proposal around the IT modernization. Just look at the data from April 2017 on the GSA Schedule 70. GovWin, a market research firm, found the number of task orders going through the IT schedule increased to more than 1,600 in 2017. That's from just 600 in 2016. But contracts and policies don't always translate into IT modernization and better cybersecurity. Several challenges and questions are emerging about how agencies can use the cloud and deal with cyber risk. How can agencies find the right balance between IT modernization and better cybersecurity? And there's a never-ending discussion about training and shifting of the workforce. So with that context in place, let's turn to our panel. Once again, my guests today are Jay Huey, the Cloud Portfolio Director at the Technology Transformation Service at the General Services Administration. Todd Myers, the Automation Lead CIOT at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Ben Bergerson, the CIO and Senior Agency Official for Cyber Risk Management at the U.S. Trade Development Agency. And Bill Rowan, the Vice President of Federal Sales for VMware. Todd, I'm going to start with you since you happen to be to my left. <laughs> uh, cloud computing, the strategy around it, NGA has, is, is probably out in front and there's several reasons why. So let's discuss your strategy around cloud and where does hybrid fit into this discussion? Uh, thanks. <clears throat> We've been uh, working on this cloud migration activity for probably two and a half years um, at the agency, identifying major programs and identifying uh, the approach to think about legacy transition to cloud native deployments in uh, primarily C2S, Amazon's um, high side environment, as well as the unclassified uh, UC2S, what we refer. So we have two locations. Uh, C2S, high side, and UC2S, low side, that we've been developing and deploying 100% um, DevOps pipelines to transition and then start from fresh when, when it's appropriate, different programs and activities to take full advantage of the cloud native activities. Capabilities. And when you talk about the, the two different classified and classified, are you guys mostly in one or the other right now? Is the strategy we made leans? Yeah, we made a decision to be 100% uh, unclassified DevOps and bring that code up to the high side so that we don't have to read. We don't, we don't want to go down the path of having anything boutique with respect to regular DevOps pipelines because they're not unique on different domains. It's just the data that makes it. Meaning unique. that as you are, are doing DevOps, you're and moving to the cloud, everything that's unclassified could be moved easily to the classified side if, ne if need be? We refer to those as primitive frameworks that are, are, are repeatable practices oh, okay. on the high side, yes. So, so, so the process, all right. Jay, let me turn to you a little bit now. You're a little different, because yeah. you're obviously the cloud portfolio director. You're not moving things to the cloud, but you're helping agencies. So let's maybe talk a little bit about the trends you're seeing from where you sit, working with the COEs as well as centers of excellence about this move to the cloud. That, that's exactly it, Jason. We, we try and work with agencies where they are and help them move to cloud. And I think what we've seen from the federal process is that fundamentally what cloud was is no longer what it is. <laughs> it's sort of like agencies were playing baseball and the game changed and now they're playing hockey. Right? We're seeing the shift to hybrid. We have specialized services that just do surveys right, or do data analysis. Some cloud services just send SMS text messages or do phone trees. And so that model that agencies had in their mind of lifting and shifting a data center into the cloud has sort of been blown apart in a, in a brave new world of a hybrid environment. 
I love what Todd talked about, which is you know developing the code sort of in a, in a lower class environment, even if that's off-prem or in a contractor system, right? That code can walk across the fence and be deployed in a production environment that's that's kept up to speed, and that's fundamentally what partners like VMware do, right? They don't build in the agency's data center environment, but they bring it in, provide a high quality solution, and so that's kind of the shifts that we've started to see. Do you get a sense of why this the shift happened? Why, why we started off playing basketball and now we're playing hockey? I, I think it was really driven by market demand. I mean, vendors specialize. That's what we we kind of do with American innovation is build you know the best capability that we can. We innovate, and so that market differentiation drove some of these tools to be really good at log management, right? Or just alerting your system administrators that something's down. I mean, we have dedicated tools that just do that, and never before would we have thought that was possible. But it's through that specialization that we've really seen the advances and the acceleration come. You mentioned lift and shift. Probably something we'll get to a little bit later in the conversation. <laughs> Let me turn to Bill from VMware. Give me a sense of the trends you're seeing from your government customers. What are, what are they asking for, and then how are you guys kind of meeting those demands, and, and what are you seeing in the market? Well, I, I think to to follow on both to Jay and Todd's points, it's interesting. At the open, you talked about some of the spend increases. I think another contributing point to this is agencies had had significant investment in a lot of the assets inside their own data centers. How are they using those more efficiently? How are those systems becoming a part of that hybrid environment in terms of a private cloud on-prem and then utilizing cloud service providers, a, a variety of which are available now to them that may have some aspect of specialization. Maybe it's for core services, so I'm going to get my email versus from a software as a service type platform. Maybe I have some workflow or HR or financial management that I'm going to get as a service. And then maybe there's going to be some of those applications that I just don't feel comfortable that I think I can support in a cheaper way as an as-a-service model internally. And we certainly see use cases, that Department of Interior being one, who has created their own shared services model inside the agencies. And I think that we're getting then the aspect, the aspect of it's the best of both worlds. We certainly see that in the commercial enterprises. So in many respects, the government is aligning very much how the Fortune 50, Fortune 500 are aligning in terms of the aspects of going forth. And I think one of the reasons is they're realizing that when you can't just throw everything to the cloud and you can't keep everything in-house either, is is that that realization, that evolution of thinking? It's it's clearly that evolution of thinking, and I think that to, to our earlier analogy that we're now playing hockey, I think we're probably on the cusp of getting ready to play yet another sport because we're continuing to see the innovation evolve, and the question becomes what becomes next? Mm -hmm. And is it around networking? Is it around um, mobile device management and service? services that are utilized across these cloud platforms. I think that's the, probably the most exciting aspect is we have another round of where innovation can lead to agility and to cost reduction. It's interesting, you bring up what's next, and I keep hearing the software, software, software piece, that everything's going to be based on software. So maybe that's another <laughs> question we have as well. So Ben, you started off playing basketball, now maybe you're playing a little hockey, now what's next? You're going to play a little high lie with, with, uh, with cloud? It's a very exciting time. The U.S. Trade and Development Agency just moved our entire federal agency from electrical to plumbing to network communications to office furniture to the data center and air conditioning. And we are in half a dozen different cloud provider environments and we were thinking about, okay, with the agency move, what can we take off-premises and put into the cloud as a service that is more nimble to spin up and more effective for our remote and traveling users? And what should we keep in-house? So we're transitioning things one piece at a time. Last year we moved our email and our personal network shares. Now we're moving some of our legacy applications like our conference room scheduling. We have a new conference room. It should be easy just to walk in and schedule that room through email or through a tablet or through a device just sitting on the table. We also have a hybrid environment where some things are local and some things are remote. We, are, we back up our systems locally, but then we store the backup images in a cloud provider. So it is all different kinds of opportunities, and how do you get these different vendors to work together? And I think that's the key here. How do you do that, right? Because when you have your email over here, but you have this 
other mission critical piece over here, and they do need to talk sometimes, or there's conferencing room, it, it's not just a, a silo in and of itself. Is, is that been the challenge so far for you guys to, to understand, okay, how do we make this hybrid environment work together? Five years ago, that would have been the case, but now interoperability is a lot smoother, and we're able to get our applications, our collaboration portal, our network shares, our email, our video teleconferencing, all talks to each other. Jay, let me bring you on this because I think Ben brings up an interesting point that maybe you could give the broader perspective on. Interoperability is a lot easier. Yeah. The, 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 move to, the reason why maybe agencies are looking at hybrid, and, and, and uh, I was doing another uh, discussion just recently, and uh, I found the hybrid cloud almanac that you, I think you guys put out, uh, I would guess. Long ago. Long, no, it was only 2017. <laughs> Long ago. <laughs> <laughs> but that really, that really talked about the, the importance of hybrid cloud and where agencies are going. Um, is, that, is that the difference today that you're seeing and why we're, we're going to continue with your analogy playing different sports? Yeah, I, I think as Ben alluded to, th there's the interoperability piece, but the key for an, for an industry and, and government to work together is that it, you might have one team playing highlight, one team playing lacrosse, one team playing hockey, one team playing baseball, right? Isolate those teams to the degree that you can. You probably don't back up your calendar and scheduling system the same way you do your, your financials, right? And so when you speak and ask about what's next, I think it goes to you know Todd's title, automation. We try and codify those relationships, the interoperability through code, infrastructure as code, standards, whatever your, your favorite buzzword is, to make sure those connections happen in a successful way. I think it's interesting, uh, Jay's point on automation, what we find from almost all of our customers across the federal, automation has become their latest drive. Th systems that in the past were much more manually operated, much more manually driven, they understand now with these hybrid type environments, that just doesn't work. There becomes failure. People become the failure. Automation needs to, to take the way. The other part, too, though, automation is highlighting additional areas where savings can be driven. And I think that that becomes a way of continually looking at what we're doing and what we're driving towards and how do we take even add either greater agility and or greater cost savings at the same time and also prepare us for what's next. Todd, since you have automation in your title and we're talking automation, yeah, you knew it was coming. Yeah, it, was coming. It, was, it was an easy. They set me up, or they set you up. Talk a little bit about the, what you guys are doing with automation a little bit, and, and how's that playing into this move to the cloud? I know DevOps is all about automation. Uh, so we've we've learned a lot of lessons over the past two and a half, almost three years, and we're in the the next phase, which is just a beginning conversation, which is uh, multi-tenancy, multi-cloud data center, data center uh, operability. Um, so we're, we are specifically moving beyond um, an application or a system being deployed on shared infrastructure for cost savings. We're at the point where we're literally deploying the same technologies that Apple and Airbnb and Twitter have been using for quite some time, um, orders of magnitude more performant and uh, for, far more efficient. Our metrics are around the average used to be around two to four percent utilization of per machine, whether that was in the cloud or on-prem, didn't really matter because the application and the logic that provided all that infrastructure was really based upon legacy design, right? Um, even if you put multi-tenants on a host machine, you still have, per tenant, less than four percent utilization of whatever's happening. So we transitioned and we used some technologies that allow us to abstract all the infrastructure as one big uh, logical unit. And now we're getting, on average, 60 to 80 percent utilization which can trigger a whole bunch of business uh, impacts, um, reprioritizing programs and how they think about cross uh, spending the dollars for the capabilities, gets into a little bit of um, cultural pushback with respect to programs letting go of what they were controlling in the past. So we're going through a whole series of uh, technology, cultural impacts, um, uh, people uh, positions to align towards those um, efficiencies. Part of the automation has spawned out of our, our a really strong quest for not just automating security, but making security part of the process mm -hmm. in a digital format. The, the days of entering a spreadsheet uh, with thousands of IPs, I won't give you the actual numbers, but mm -hmm. it's more double digit numbers of thousands of IPs uh, to align to a human, IP to a human, is really not how you can operate in, in today's fashion, especially when we're launching containers and we run something and, and the, two seconds later, it's no longer being run, right? So the, the methodology and the, and the thought process of uh, uh, scanning a container, uh, uh, putting agents on a container is all foreign 
to, to a lot of folks, but it's standard. It's, it's, it's just the general purpose of the way things are done in industry. So we're folding all that in to make sure that we can automate our deployments of our clusters, and part of that automation is to bake in from the beginning all of the NIST controls, all of the uh, YAML description files with respect to the um, uh, security controls. And so when we go to ATO, we actually have the ATO as part of the end state in the beginning, not people reviewing after we've deployed it. And I know I heard uh, someone talk just recently, ATO in a day, right? That your guys are almost, you know, about a week. <laughs> so, Jay, you want to jump in? I, I just, to build on Todd's point, if we embrace all that cloud has to offer, that sort of dynamicism, it's going to be elastic, it's going to expand. So sometimes you play the sport with 11 people, sometimes 111. And that's the other dimension of hybrid, is sort of that horizontal and vertical capability. And so it's okay if the rules change a little bit. And frankly, that's what we want, right? You get a DDoS attack, you can mitigate that through a certain set of capabilities in the cloud. You get you know, the Mother's Day problem or tax filing, you can mitigate that through a set of capabilities. That's the whole goal. And that, that aspect of building the security in, as Todd was talking about, from the very beginning versus something being bolted on, we feel there's going to be a tremendous amount of resili resiliency built into the application from the very beginning. And therefore, wherever the application goes, that security is built into that application from the very beginning. That'll lead to much more secure environments across the board. And I think, and in, in you guys bring up two very important points, the security side, which taxes, takes us back to the IT modernization discussion, but also the flexibility, which again, as you talked about, whether it's a DDoS, DDoS, DDoS attack or an IRS filing day, you're going to have these ebbs and flows. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can delve into a little security, a little more IT modernization. You're listening to the panel discussion, Agency Handbook on Cyber and the Hybrid Cloud, sponsored by VMware on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Today's digital transformation report, Realize What's Possible, provided by VMware. Here's Bill Rowan, Vice President, VMware for Government. A recent White House modernization report encourages agencies to maximize secure use of cloud computing. VMware can help. Our expertise includes deploying cloud-native applications, updating your infrastructure, and automating government IT. At VMware, we help agencies embrace both public and private clouds to create an agile, hybrid environment. VMware's cross-cloud architecture integrates with cloud providers like Amazon Web Services, IBM, and Microsoft Azure. Let us help you securely embrace hybrid cloud, take advantage of cloud economies, and speed into the future. Let's talk. VMware Solutions, modernizing government IT, streamlining operations while reducing costs and strengthening security. Realize what's possible. Visit vmware.com go federal. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Agency Handbook on Cyber and the Hybrid Cloud, sponsored by VMware on federalnewsradio.com, 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Jay Huey, the Cloud Portfolio Director at the Technology Transformation Service in the General Services Administration, Todd Myers, the Automation Lead, CIOT at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, Ben Bergerson, the CIO and Senior Agency Official for Cyber Risk Management at the U.S. Trade and Development Agency, and Bill Rowan, the Vice President of Federal Sales for VMware. Toward the end of that first segment, we started talking about the flexibility, the resiliency, security came up. Let me go start with Ben, though, in the end there. One of the things that, that this is leading us down the path in, in terms of resiliency and flexibility is, is almost a new model. Talk a little bit about the new model that maybe uh, you guys are starting to look at. We're starting to look at everything as a service where you've got resiliency, robustness, backups, restoration, audit logging, cybersecurity all rolled into the service. And that's just part of the expectations is where's the value to the mission and security is baked in, then you're not worried about putting in weaknesses and vulnerability remediation and poem items after the fact. It's here's your emergency communication system and of course it's in a highly secure environment in two different cloud areas and we are looking at paying the annual service fee for that communication system the same thing for web portals out in the cloud it's in a clustered environment of course and if one machine goes down or one container is under maintenance then the other one just slides over it's really cool when you get to everything as a service you're close to the mission and figuring out how you can help us exports as to how compared to how many servers are up at the moment. Do, do you find that the as a service though, from, from a pay for use perspective, is that something that you have to start with a baseline and say, okay, 
what's you know emergency communications are we paying by the drink are we paying by the what like how, how do you deal with the pay issue i guess was the cost we end up paying per user and that makes it very flexible so if we go to a foreign country and we need to spin up five accounts for some people in country and then two months later we need to spin it down, we only pay for what we use. And we've saved a couple million dollars over the last few years by just paying for our services that we use. The same thing in backups. We only pay for what we back up, not an entire data center, but what we need. And so pay as you go you would wonder is it going to cost more but it actually allows you to say this is how much this service costs for this analytics project for this country and you can do cost management savings and efficiencies are you charging your missionaries now by the by, by the user <laughs> you don't have to answer that if you don't want to <laughs> they want my savings back to go into the mission that's how that goes we can talk about mgt todd you guys are in a similar maybe in a similar situation are you guys also in that model of as a service and pay by the drink or pay by the, by the user well so um a little different it's a little different uh what we've established is an abstraction for what we call customers or capabilities that come in at a third at a third tier so they're not coming in and maintaining and, and patching their systems. As a matter of fact, they don't own their systems anymore. They consume the services or frameworks, whether it's Kafka or Spark, or whatever the case may be, that we're providing, that, and we're taking care of how, how that scales across, not only the cloud, but also uh, bare metal. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to mention that uh, as part of the other, other components that we're looking at is w we don't want to be patching anything that's running. When, when something's running, it's running for a, for a purpose, and when there's a next development cycle of that code, we remove that, that machine or that cluster and we bring in the next series of codes. So that impacts the way we interact with DISA with respect to NIST controls. All that has to be rolled back to the, to the software code baseline, which really gets into the DevOps pipeline, right? So developers and academia and industry partners are going to be part of that back code development versus throwing something over the fence for us to bring in the door and then deploy. So we're really focused on making sure that the, um, that the things that are been inhibiting us from deploying things at scale in a timely fashion and, and very costly are actually rolled into the code base. And the piece, the other very interesting thing here is as you are adding new capabilities, that's getting tested throughout the entire code. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the new capabilities that's being tested and then it breaks something down you know, in the back end right, of the so code. Everything gets, Go ahead. So I set that stage because the term everything as a service is an interesting term. Effectively, you're talking about fully maturated code pipeline deployments. And in the context of which, if a developer is making a tweak for a specific function, that's in the context of the greater cluster, right? Not as a service. Um, there are declared software hosting services. What I'm talking about are things that are running as utility, so to speak abstracting the, the cloud environment. Yeah, well, uh, not, more than that. Yeah, far more than that. Specific uh, mission applications that uh, get into uh, imagery analysis and, and um, collection and things of that nature. Bill, let me bring you in here on this as a service model. Are you seeing a, a trend or are you seeing agencies asking for this approach, not just as a service, but also the pay by the drink or pay as you go? So there's really a couple different dynamics that are working at, at at scale, agencies who are starting to use an as-a-service model are trying to figure out how can they move some of their other budget line items to that particular type of model. I think most agencies feel like they have the O&M dollars to operate, especially as they're seeing savings, there's additional dollars there. Capital is always very, very tight, has been always been very, very tight. The new, some of the new things we've seen in the NDAA, as you alluded to, may help some of that, but that's going to operate some like a working capital fund, so there'll be other pieces down the line. So they're clearly asking for it. I think the stumbling block becomes they don't exactly know what they want their internal model to look like. And I think that's a little bit of the evolution that we've discussed here is there's two, two dynamics going on. <clears throat> services are being delivered differently. Agencies are consuming services differently. And then there's the contracting aspect of how do I contract to get those various services in a timely fashion? So we're we're stretching different parts of the different parts of the organizations. I think that generally speaking, agencies are determining what services they consume, how they can consume more things as a service because it's it's advantageous budget-wise, and then how does that allow them to potentially tackle other 
technical or business issues, mission issues, if you will, that they simply could not get to because they didn't have the funds. This type of approach allows them to go after some of those particular things. But again, there are other areas that also are driving concerns. Contracts, contracts being probably one of the major ones. So, uh, part of, of our evolution is also massively separating our monolithic systems data from the top application stacks. And so, uh, we have a major thrust to um, isolate in a virtual private cloud, Amazon technology uh, speak, um, all of our content. And rather than the, a program moving their applications or their system into a VPC along with their data, we're architecting with our chief data officer um, uh, open data store uh, construct that allows any program to deploy just the application logic and then point to their VPC. So now we've defined a shared business model that allows focus to folks to focus on the content and the, the access controls and the PEP and the PAP uh, parameters to those, to those data sources, and then we can refine a much more focused area on the application logic. And will this also make the applications perform better because they're not they're not slowed down by all the data because the data is, if you will, stored somewhere else in a web we're, services? We're seeing trends towards that, um, but more importantly, it's, it's evolving more towards uh, operating like a Facebook or an Apple data center, mm -hmm. which is really the industry that we need to go toward, or the, the go towards the way industry is doing this because uh, the days of a contract or RFI or you know vendors coming up and pr providing their solution to give to someone to deploy as a snowflake in the VPCs is interesting. It doesn't meet the mission demand and the timeline and it's very, very costly. So we're basically going back to the way if Walmart and Kmart were going to merge, they have to look at their, their lines of business and see how they consolidate things. So we've got application environments and we've got our data environment. Uh, we're doing massive uh, computation analytics against the imagery data, and so that affords a new way of thinking of, of just orchestration automation at large. Jay, jump in here because one of the things that you're working on in, in, is, is around the centers of excellence, and, and you're leading part of that effort around the cloud adoption piece. Um, talk, talk a little bit about where this as a service plays into that or the broader trends you're seeing. Well, I think what I hear about this conversation is granularity. And um, the one thing I'd encourage your listeners is to not think that security has to apply equally to every service, right? Uh, Todd used the term utility before, and I really like that. If something's a nice to have, but it's not critical to your business, you would not protect that the same way that you know an ERP system or an HR system or your imagery system, right? And what, to Bill's point, this gives the agency the ability in contracts to kind of be more granular around cost and value Right, what is the cost of this SLA I think I'm imposing? Instead of just you know, slapping contract language on from one service to the next, I can really look into it in a much more refined fashion. And so I don't want to dissuade anyone from being secure, right? but I think that it's about that value statement. I, I played wiffle ball with my son this weekend, which is much different than playing baseball at the nationals level. Right, The equipment's different, the field's different, they're very different structures, and frankly, if we broke a bat, no big deal, we'd go to the park and you know, go down the slide. So that's the conversation I'm seeing agencies start to have. From the Centers of Excellence perspective, Gary Washington's doing an amazing job at USDA, all the team there. We're, we're really having this much more granular perspective on how the agency can leverage these utilities, these capabilities, um, across the, the products and programs. I think it gives uh, specific uh, focus on the portions of the elements, of the granularity, that um, both contractor and government individuals and organizations writ large can focus on. So. Uh, one of our goals is to not have our security folks just be risk assessors, but actually be team players. And so we've identified a couple of folks that are going to be onboarding onto our team uh, as part of the automation deployments. So we're starting to see this blender effect of putting things together. And out of that, you know, it may not look so pretty in the beginning, but ultimately we're going to get to a faster way of deploying, uh, trusted known state of things that are being deployed, uh, knowing where the routes and ACLs and all those components need to be put in place, uh, obfuscation, uh, network overlays, you know, you could keep on talking about this for days on end. <laughs> but the point is, is that um, the way in which companies like Uber and Airbnb and Twitter and Facebook, uh, not recently, but mm -hmm. what they've been doing as far as deploying new capabilities like Cassandra, which came out of Facebook, um, and LinkedIn, so, um, you know, uh, uh, Kafka, they really focused on the longer term effect, not the short term deploy, right? So um, I'm going to need my security folks, not my security folks, but security folks that work at our agency 
to roll their sleeves up and get engaged and understand that their job is not to, de not to review a spreadsheet. Their job is to understand the technologies that are coming around the corner, understand where they're now going to fit in the bigger picture. The same thing with folks that are today the data center management folks, they're going to start to need to learn how to do infrastructure as code. So when they do deployments, they're not thinking about patching machines, they're thinking about cluster load balances at multi-data center regions and globally. Bill, jump in. Well, I think that I think that this is an interesting dialogue, and, and, and Todd's spot on. I think there's the other part too is as this security model evolves, one of the things that we're out talking to clients about is this the building of a zero trust model when it comes to the security framework. There are all kinds of as we separate the data from the application piece itself. The question becomes, how do we easily share that that data? We see that time and again, as we have bolted security onto the process, that's where we become the most vulnerable. We build security in from the very beginning. We take in a concept, uh, much like General Clappert used to talk about, if we designed our networks much like we designed our submarines, if we, there was a breach, we'd seal off that particular compartment and continue on with the mission. There's a similar analogy here relative to our networks, especially as we separate, start to separate the data from the applications so that people get a greater share of how to utilize that environment. This changes that model a little bit, but I don't believe it's a one-time change. The models will continue to evolve, but at the same time, we'll get greater access, we'll get greater agility, we'll get better performance, we'll ultimately have a much better security, more, more robust security model that, again, continue to be leveraged across government or across industry in general. Bill, do me a quick favor and just let's define zero trust model just in case the listeners aren't familiar with the, the so, term. So just at the very highest level concepts is that I'm going to give access to someone to information, but not until I authenticate them on a, a regular basis, whether that's to an individual, a user group, an agency, a department. And I will start to learn their, their characteristics. How do they operate? How do they come into me? Maybe I build additional firewalling capability. Again, and this is going to be done in software in a virtual environment, but we never assume that there's no risk. We assume all the time that, in fact, there's 100% risk, and that until we've gotten that handshake back and forth and can identify who it is or what organization is using the data or accessing, trying to access the information, we're not going to give them the authority to get the data. And I think, again, we're trying to keep that at the highest level. Certainly the implementation becomes a little bit more complex when we get down to it, but at a high level, that's the best way, to, we think, to kind of continue to approach this game. Jay? I just build on that. I love the submarine analogy, but it's less about building our networks like submarines and more about building our applications like submarines, right? And I think the, the term zero trust, I love it, but it almost points people to the wrong end of the stick. It's about high trust applications and the identity that Bill talked about and the data security that Todd talked about. It's about focusing the expertise and the knowledge in that application to be secure because it's the best positioned to know what constitutes a threat or you know, standard use, and less about building networks that, you know, continue to have this perimeter-based, you know, drive security into the networks, because they can't be all for everything. So, I, uh, data is the network, and <laughs> container-isolated namespaces are the ports, uh, and, and network enclaves, if you want to think of them that way. So, uh, perimeter defense used to be the term, what, mm -hmm. 15, 20 years ago, and then you heard defense, we started hearing defense in depth, that was really a reaction to still maintaining perimeter defense. Mm -hmm. Really, the applications uh, are the, is the network. I, I may have a TLS session between a container to another container, and that container goes away. I want to be able to have uh, forensic analysis as to what trans transpired, so I have to follow that data network path uh, at scale. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of containers uh, of course, across the year, and being able to uh, analyze that anal a log uh, transition from that and not have to go to machine and dump logs out of out of you know uh, whether it's virtualized or whether it's uh, bare metal, so it's a it's a daunting task to comprehend thousands and thousands of containers running every hour um, on a host that may not it may not run there tomorrow, right? So the data is the network going forward. Yep. Let's take a quick break and come back. We can uh, talk about the, where we're going in the future. You're listening to the panel discussion, Agency Handbook on Cyber and the Hybrid Cloud, sponsored by VMware on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Today's digital transformation report, Realize What's Possible, provided by VMware. Here's Bill Rowan, Vice President, VMware for Government. A recent White House modernization report encourages agencies to maximize secure use of cloud computing. VMware can help. Our expertise includes deploying cloud-native applications, updating your infrastructure, 
and automating government IT. At VMware, we help agencies embrace both public and private clouds to create an agile hybrid environment. VMware's cross-cloud architecture integrates with cloud providers like Amazon Web Services, IBM, and Microsoft Azure. Let us help you securely embrace hybrid cloud, take advantage of cloud economies, and speed into the future. Let's talk. VMware Solutions, modernizing government IT, streamlining operations while reducing costs and strengthening security. Realize what's possible. Visit vmware.com slash go slash federal. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Agency Handbook on Cyber and the Hybrid Cloud, sponsored by VMware on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests are Jay Huey, the Cloud Portfolio Director at the Technology Transformation Service at the General Services Administration, Todd Myers, the Automation Lead CIOT at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, Ben Bergerson, the CIO and Senior Agency Official for Cyber Risk Management at the U.S. Trade and Development Agency, and Bill Rowan, the Vice President of Federal Sales for VMware. The, in the last segment, we we're talking about data security, and, and Todd said something that was just, you know, got us all kind of laughing, but also very interesting that, you know, data, it's, it's all about data. Data is the security side. You, you have to worry about your data and everything else kind of is, is, is maybe secondary. Maybe I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But um, it's interesting when we start talking about the model of security, uh, Todd, is, is, you know, has, from NGA's perspective, you have class, unclass, you have a much broader perspective. Uh, let me turn to Ben then and talk a little bit from the maybe less classified world, maybe a little bit of classified, but mostly unclass world. How, what security model are you starting to use as you are moving to the cloud? So we're following along with the OMB modernization initiatives and we're looking at data level security protections and data level um, mission value added. So if this analytics information talking about what U.S. exports brought $500 million versus $300 million, we protect those data elements differently than our HR files and we protect those differently than our ERP system and our financial network. So you get to modernizing each of the services with the latest applications, and as you're doing it, you tailor the security based on the value of that data and the protections that it needs. Now, as you were making those decisions, the, the values could change too, right? So, for instance, if you have uh, export data uh, on, let's pick on something that's been in the news, steel. And then all of a sudden people want to see, okay, how much is the U.S. really exporting around steel? And I, I know I'm making this up, but does the values change and you have to turn up or turn down the security? And can you do that in, in the model you're using? Yes, it changes over time. So pre-decisional reviews of where we can help U.S. exports have a different security model than historical information of that happened five years ago and it's public knowledge. And we have different security controls for different data elements based on the value of that data. And we also publish the public information. So you can ask for it as well. Bill, jump in here a little bit because from a security perspective, as you guys are looking at the hybrid cloud, you talked about zero trust model, the valuation of the data, is that is that where you see the kind of the future starting to, to, to tick in? Sure, all information has a time value associated to, as it relates back to security. Uh, we see this in the intelligence community. Information will have a different time, have a different value over a period of time. Department of Defense, USDA, take your pick. It's all hazardous, and I think that that's the great part we're talking about in the going forth future is we, we finally have a chance to change the model as we go along time versus a specific security model for all the data or for a great portion of the data. In five years, if it doesn't need that same security model, let's change it. Let's have some agility. Let's have some cost savings that are associated with that versus trying to make sure everything fits in one little bucket and we feel comfortable about it. I think the other part, too, that it evolves is it gives us a chance to relook at information that we thought needed to be secured at a particular level, or maybe it's not the data. Maybe we were more concerned about the application. So focus the security model on the application, put those savings there. The data, without any access to the application, may not have the same type of security risk, and therefore, again, we can, we can shift those resources where necessary. 
And, and Todd, let me bring you in because when we talk about data that gets more useful, less useful over time, or more valuable, I guess, useful is not the right word. And, and how are you guys addressing the security piece from, hey, today this is highly classified to tomorrow, it's maybe this level two versus or level three in terms of how you classify the, the different pieces of information? Yeah, well, I can't answer that question specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can give you a general uh, framing of, of uh, we have NARA requirements, so when we generate a product, we have to uh, archive that data for a certain period of time. Um, but generally speaking, depending upon the mission uh, and that classification marking, will stay with that data. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Open Data Store initiative in uh, other environments, as we go forward, we're separating the system controls to the data because the data is now sitting in an environment that based upon an API call and based upon your attributes that it looks up against your information of what clearance you have access to use that data or the application having a need to interact with that data will depend on how that classified data or unclassified data uh, will be presented to the application. So it's no longer the, the, the ways of a data warehousing environment or library saying that this application st stack is going to give access to the data repository. It, we open up the data, but we maintain the provenance and pedigree of the attributes uh, of access to the data. So um, I think it's actually a, a much uh, more interesting conversation or to think about with respect to how you would design applications based upon systems not controlling access to a specific type of data or phenomenology uh, based upon a classification, but de uh, normalizing or, or decentralizing um, the environment so that you can normalize the applications that have access to that. And all this kind of flows into the broader discussion because one of the big pushes from the administration on IT modernization is that they're tagging it strictly to improving security. But there's the other piece of it too. So Ben, you guys are down a path of modernizing as you opened up uh, the conversation today. You talked about, you know, last year was email, this year is, is, is other kind of the, some of the back office. How does the modernization effort kind of play into this security and security playing into the modernization effort? So last year, yes, we moved our personal network drives and our email. Now we're looking at our data analytics capability of where we should go into what countries and help with more U.S. exports. That system has been around for a decade and it fits into legacy application modernization, taking a look at all the new features and capabilities that we'd be able to provide to the different country managers saying, I'd like to analyze the data this way and compare it to four different reports and other countries running what if scenarios. So we're getting new features. As the same time, we're getting more security system built into that application capability. We're not just going to bolt on and keep the legacy application. We're completely replacing that system with modern technology. And we are saving money because we are virtualizing it and we're not building hardware for each system there. And we're also doing it for video teleconferencing. We've got a, a legacy video teleconferencing system that you can now just do off of every smartphone, laptop, PC, and the camera hanging down from the ceiling. And <laughs> you're getting 4K resolution or high def resolution. So you're putting on different availability and speed of access so that there's not latency for video, as well as what communication is that? Is that a public video teleconference or is that a private one? And we've got a lot of great opportunities there. Jay, jump in here a little bit and, and, and broaden this for me because the IT modernization push that we're seeing, whether it's through just a, a move to the cloud like Ben's talking about or see the broader perspective from the administration centers of excellence, mm -hmm. how, how do you find that right balance of, of IT modernization and security? Yeah, I think it's about balance, and we talked before about granularity and specificity. And so the system that might be a high-side system holding the data might have a help desk component that, frankly, never touches the data, just has a username and maybe an access time, and that can be low. And so instead of treating that in one monolithic bubble where that help desk ticket you know, system now has to be high, we can start to be appropriate with those security controls. And I think that speaks to modernization. We all know there's not an infinite pot of money, and so agencies have to specialize and prioritize what they're doing 
doing with that investment, where they can outsource to a provider, where it is core to their mission and they need to build that in and bake it in. So what we've seen from the FedRAMP side, we've worked a lot with industry, have over 100 providers, and this shift has changed in the boundary discussions too. And so we're trying to make sure that agencies know where their data is, where the providers know where their data is, and what the kind of interfaces, when we talked about automation before, that go across that, so that you can be clear, okay, that is going to the help desk, but I, I can show you that they don't have access to the data. Again, it's maybe just user ID uh, credentials. So that's driving, I think, a better investment of our time and, and money so that we can ultimately deliver end user services faster. And we talked about how to do that. I well, think the one thing we can probably also agree is that this innovation's not going to stop. If anything, it's going to continue to accelerate. We're gonna see new types of services that are, the agency's gonna be able to take advantage of, whether it comes from a cloud service provider or it comes from another software, or for, the, for that matter, even a hardware manufacturer or a professional services firm. They're continuing, we're continuing to learn more and more about this. We're continuing to learn more about how we can harness the power and how we can use this to add even greater agility, resiliency, some of the other things we've talked about. Um, so I think that one of the things that's a constant is we will continue to see innovation in this area. And the pendulum's gonna shift a little bit based upon those innovations, one direction or another. The good part is agencies are very well positioned now to take advantage of it regardless of where the pendulum swings. And if there's anything we've learned over the last couple of years, it's agencies have, have now become able to adopt that. How do I utilize it? How do I pivot, how do I figure out whether I need to take this step or can I wait to the next step? I think that's been the probably one of the key things that doesn't get written about a lot is agencies have made huge strides and while there's more work to be done, I think that by most standards you'd have to give our agencies just as much credit as you would the Fortune 50 in terms of what they've been able to accomplish in these last couple of years. You know, we always ask for those good news <coughs> stories, Bill. Sometimes it's just hard to get through those press shops. Uh, Todd, let me uh, uh, bring you into this because the, the something that Jay said and something that Ben said regarding prioritized investments, you know, be better investment of time and money to drive new services. Are you seeing that over the last two, two and a half years as well because of moving to the C2S cloud or just, just the, the modernization effort at NGA? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say the biggest one is the uh, financial return, I know that's an oxymoron in government, but the financial return on lessons learned from being told go to the cloud provider that the DNI uh, uh, outlined and facilitated for the IC community to, to leverage and it, it going there just taking what you had on in your data center and just redeploying it versus the lessons learned of how do I break apart those applications? Okay, I learned how to do that. How do I think about orchestration of containers? How do I think about the impact of security of containers coming and going? How do I realign my, my risk assessors? Uh, there's all these lessons learned and how-to's impacts, right, um, that actually become the new, what I say, mission business driver uh, that could be a financial incentive or driver, but the problem that we're facing is that we still have an acquisition process. We are a Title 10 and Title 50 agency. We don't and cannot work under a working capital fund. Mm -hmm. um, so these are things that are, we take advantage of GSA opportunities, but quite frankly, uh, we have multiple colors of money that we have to balance that are based upon very, very legacy acquisition uh, cycles, while at the same time try to do the best of breed of getting into the cloud um, the way industry does it, right? I'm not going to deploy in an environment that's based upon a monolithic design that requires me to use uh, Amazon machine instances that are load balanced, but I'm spending you know orders of magnitude more dollars versus deploying 15 small machines and deploying a cluster set of services on that and running containers. It's just leaps and bounds. The issue is though, uh, uh, articulating those, uh, those the design patterns to the programs to understand how to even compose in a container to begin with. Right. So we've got it all over the place. So the lessons learned really, I think is, the, is going to be the longest value as far as looking back and say, oh, this is what we spent, look, this is what we've been playing with, and this is how we can go forward to kind of keep it even state or, or even be far more efficient. Ben, jump in. Todd had mentioned realigning your assessors for security in your new environment. That's very important. When you're in half a dozen different cloud environments and they're providing different services, there is a great baseline of your at FedRAMP low, medium, or high on the unclass side, and then the same levels on the classified side. You have that as a beginning, 
you then dig into it as a customer because you're still responsible for the risk management of what could happen in that environment, what's the likelihood that that'll happen, and what's the impact on that mission. So you can outsource security, but you always retain your executive risk management of where should we go and what's the likelihood of something good happening or something not good happening. Jay, jump in. He said my favorite word, which is FedRAMP, of course. And so we actually <laughs> just released, we call it the Lightweight Software as a Service, LISAS for short. It's 30 controls. And so going back to this prioritization of work, you can work with a vendor and test 30 controls in a much reduced time and then spend that time and attention on your high side services. And so that's where we've seen this granularity play out over time to help give that agency the flexibility they need to do it. All right, Bill, you get the last word. And, and I think that it's interesting. What you're seeing is now manufacturers as, or developers, we understand these controls better. And so we're spending more time on the front end. How can we start building these controls in from the very beginning? And I think the, the other interesting part that we're seeing of that is it's not just the federal government who's looking at this. We see state and local governments looking at these same things because they don't have that same infrastructure in place at the state level. And they're saying, so what are the feds doing? How do the feds address this matter? And so what's happening is it's helping the overall market from that perspective. And I think it ultimately it's going to help the taxpayers from a long-term perspective. And, and I think we wanted also to also get into uh, this new licensing model. And you brought up acquisition a little bit, which changes. But unfortunately, we're, we're just out of time. We're going to have to have you all come back again and, and maybe do this uh, in the future. But this has been a fascinating conversation. So let me first thank my guests. Jake Huey, the Cloud Portfolio Director at the Technology Transformation Service and the General Services Administration. Todd Myers, the Automation Lead CIOT at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Ben Bergerson, the CIO and Senior Agency Official for Cyber Risk Management at the U.S. Trade and Development Agency. And Bill Rowan, the Vice President of Federal Sales for VMware. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. You've been listening to the panel discussion, Agency Handbook on Cyber and the Hybrid Cloud, sponsored by VMware on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I've been your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search VMware. Thank you for listening to the Agency Handbook on Cyber and the Hybrid Cloud panel, sponsored by VMware on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion is available on demand at federalnewsradio.com slash VMware.